You're listening to a message from the Winsboro Church of Christ. This is the Winsboro.Church podcast. If you have any questions, comments, or prayer requests, you can get in touch with us at any time through our website at Winsboro.Church. We're going to start off this lesson like we did last week, where I'm going to say Jesus is three times, and your response will be, Lord risen and coming. And if you were here last week, you know what we're doing. If not, just follow along. Jesus is, Jesus is, and Jesus is, amen. Amen to that, absolutely. That's who Jesus is, and it's who we are, because we are followers of this risen, coming Lord. And that's who he is for us. And today, and for the next couple of weeks, I want to springboard off of the first one, that Jesus is Lord. Because we hear the word Lord, what does that mean? Um, What does it mean to be a Lord? And we talked about that some last week, but I feel like as Americans we have a hard time with this. Because Lord means someone above, which insinuates if we're not the Lord, we're below. And we Americans, we don't like that. We, We Equality is one of our prime... Um, beliefs that we hold as a country, as a population, you know, that we emphasize. And we don't always get it right. But, you know, even the current struggles and social uprisings and things like that are hinged on this core value that we do hold to is we are all created equal. And we're still trying our best to get better at it, and we are trying to uh, understand how to apply that the best way possible, and we will always be, but equality is a value that we have been brought up with, just like freedom. Freedom is a value, and yet we hear a word like Lord. And I'll say, when we hear the word Lord, I hope that we maybe train ourselves, especially as Christians, thinking of Jesus as Lord, that we think Jesus is King. And that's tough, because we got rid of our kings a long time ago. We didn't want kings over here. Kings told us what to do. We didn't like that. We want to be able to decide for ourselves, that freedom and independence. And we rejected that an earthly king like the kind that England had or that many other countries had and uh, uh, the kings that still exist. Um, I actually Googled how many countries still have a total monarchy. A lot have a representative monarchy. That's all England is anymore. The queen sits there, but she doesn't have too much power. Uh, The parliament has the power. And she's got a voice and she can do some things, but she's mostly a figurehead. There are some countries with that traditional king. Um, You have the, uh, well, one of our close allies is America. One of our few allies in the Middle East, uh, Saudi Arabia, has a full monarch, as in a a king with power to make decisions. And that rubs us the wrong way. Who who gave that guy that power, we would say. Now, why does he get to make the decisions and not somebody else just because of who his dad was or his granddad was or his great-granddad? We don't like that. And it's okay not to like that. I enjoy our freedoms. I want, I want America to stay a democracy. I don't want to 
you know, kingship. I like the fact that we elect a president every four years to keep it from becoming such. Just like our founding fathers envisioned, it's worked out pretty well. We still have our issues, but you know, I enjoy the, the good ways that our Constitution, and we are follow, followers of Constitution, not of King. Well, as Americans, yes. But we're not gathered here this morning because we're Americans. We're gathered here this morning because we're Christians. And if we are Christians, we have to come to terms with Jesus is King. And if we say the words Jesus is Lord, that's what we mean. That's what the Bible means when it uses the word Jesus is Lord. And we think of Jesus in lots of ways. For how I grew up hearing Jesus more than any other way in the church setting, Jesus is our Savior. Absolutely true. I mean, that is a true statement. Amen, just like the other, Jesus is Lord, Jesus is risen, Jesus is coming. That's tied into the fact that he's also our Savior. And that's probably the way that we think of Jesus probably most in our minds. If you grew up in churches similar to me, which I imagine you did, that's the emphasis. And why we have an invitation song at the end of worship, because Jesus is our Savior. And absolutely, I don't want to diminish that, but what I want to do is I want to make sure that we're putting king in the right place. Because while we think of Jesus as Savior, as Jesus as friend, uh, Jesus as teacher, all good things, you know what the Bible says most about them? King. Even more than Savior, the Bible emphasizes that he is king. Jesus Christ. Christ is not his last name. A lot of people think it is. Or I've heard it used often as maybe in not the best setting even. Um, Some would use it in inappropriate ways, this term Jesus Christ. But Jesus Christ, obviously referred to in Scripture all over the place. He's Jesus, sometimes Jesus Christ, sometimes Christ Jesus, sometimes just Christ. Every time you see that word Christ, do you know what it means? Well, look at Matthew chapter 16, verse 16, if you want to know. And we talked about this last week, looking at it again, the great confession. When Jesus said, who do you say I am? Simon Peter spoke up among the apostles and said, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. You are the Christ. Christ is a descriptor, not a name. Christ is actually the exact same word as Messiah. Messiah is one language. The Messiah is Hebrew out of the Old Testament. You translate that into Greek, the language spoken in the New Testament, Christ. And actually, depending on the edition of the NIV you may have, um, I We read from the New English translation this morning. If you have an an updated NIV, one that was printed after 2010 or 2011, one of those years, it actually in Matthew 16, 16 has Peter say, you are the Messiah, using that Old Testament term. Because Christ and Messiah are interchangeable. They are the same word from two different languages. Well, what happens when you take that and actually translate it to an English word? You get the word anointed. 
So when you see Jesus Christ, what it's saying is Jesus the anointed one. You know who gets anointed? Let's think back to our Old Testament stories. You know who gets anointed, who gets oil poured on their head? The king. That's what happened to David. King David. He got a crown eventually. But first he was anointed. And that's when God chose him as king. It took 40 more years or so, or 30 more. If he was anointed when he was 15, he became king when he was 40. It took about 25 more years after he was anointed. If he was the age that we kind of think of with David and Goliath. If he was 15-ish, maybe even 20. 20, 25 years later before he actually puts the crown on his head and sits on his throne. But the whole time God knew he was king because he had been anointed. And Jesus is the anointed king. Know what that sign up there says? It's in three different languages. The sign that hung on the top of the cross. Jesus, king of the Jews. In Greek, in Hebrew, and Latin, I believe. Three different ways. And the Jews said, oh, don't write that up there. But he said he was king of the Jews, but Pilate wanted to kind of, he enjoyed stirring the pot a little bit. No, what I've written, I've written. What's been posted has been posted. He wanted to kind of stick the knife in and turn a little bit for these Jews, waiting on their king, saying, well, there he is. And how little did he know how right he was. The king of the Jews, the king of the Jews, the king of the Jews. And not just the king of the Jews, we believe, because he is God's anointed king. The one God chose to be king from the foundation of the world, he is king eternally. See the word, Christ is all over the New Testament. Why is it mentioned so much? Because the New Testament is trying to get us to understand Jesus is the king. The king of the Jews But beyond that, the king of the Gentiles, that's us. The king of the world, the king of the universe. The king of everything that is. On heaven and on earth, Jesus is king. Revelation chapter 1. This is what Terry read for us. I remember your name, Terry. (laughs) Revelation chapter 1 is really interesting because John the Apostle who knew Jesus as well as anyone. He's actually called the disciple whom Jesus loved. And we see the picture of the Last Supper and John is laying against Jesus' chest because they didn't sit down at their tables. They laid in a circle kind of with their feet out, but their heads in. And so your head was laying against kind of the chest of the person you're laying next to. And so it was a place of honor, but also a place of intimacy. Kind of a best friend laying against Jesus. And even Peter who's probably laying in front of John, said, hey, John, ask Jesus. Jesus, John said, okay, Jesus, who is it? So, I mean, John was close to Jesus. Yet, You know what happens in Revelation chapter 1 when he sees Jesus in glory? When he sees Jesus with the burning eyes and the burning face and sees him as king? The one who knew him as friend, the one who knew him as savior, the one who knew him as teacher, you know what he does? He falls down on his face as though dead. He says, I fell down at his feet as though dead. 
You know what you do before a king? You bow down. You get on your knees. Because you are saying very clearly, you are above, I am below. We as Christians, we say that about Jesus. He is above, we are below. And actually, a way that, we sing the song, all angels prostrate fall. You got to sing it, put in the second R, don't say the wrong word. It's not prostate, it's prostrate. You know what that means? It's not just kneeling on your knees, it's actually full spread eagle on the ground. You know what that shows? Vulnerability. If you come in to a king and you lay down on the ground, face down, that king can do whatever he wants to you. And you're saying, king, do whatever you want to me because you're the king and I'm not. Think about how a king in England would knight their knights. Sword on this shoulder, sword on that shoulder. Do you know what that's saying? I mean, the knight's on his knees, king standing above, king above, knight below. You know what? If a sword right here is pretty close to right here. The knight is saying, you can have my life. Take it if you want it. And I will give you my life for the rest of my life in your service. And I will die on the battlefield if, so, if need be for you and your kingdom. Again, as Americans, we don't like that. Die for a king? Who would die for a king? Well, we don't have an earthly king. We have a king whose kingdom is not of this earth. He's the kingdom of heaven. And we fall down before him and say, take me. Take me, I'm yours. You are the king. I am not. I will follow. I will submit. That's the point of today's lesson. is Submitting to our king. And that word submit, again, rubs us the wrong way. To give somebody else the power, somebody else the decision making. I don't want to submit. I want to run my own life. As Americans, we don't want to submit. We want to run our own country. (laughs) And don't take this the wrong way. Again, I love America, but we're not doing that great a job. We have some great ideas that were at the core of this country. And in some ways we followed them. In other ways we haven't so much. But when it comes down to it, if we run our own lives, we're in trouble. The longer I live, the more I'm confronted with that fact. I make mistakes, big ones. And I live with the consequences of those mistakes. How much better my life would be If I said, okay, Jesus, you run it. You're my king. I'll not pursue the things for me. I'll just lay myself before you and submit. Follow your teaching because I trust that you are wise. I trust that you are good. And that's the thing. A king, we think of, well, a corrupt king. Absolute power corrupts absolutely. Not so our king. Our king has always had the power and he's always been good. And so he's worth following. He's worth laying ourselves down for. 
And the, here's the thing. You got, you're going to submit to something. Romans chapter 6, verses 15 and 16. In, this, in Romans chapter 6, Paul is asking a series of questions, mostly about sin and whether or not you can continue in sin or not. But what then? Shall we sin because we are not under the law but under grace? He said, if we've got grace, what's, there's no problem with sin. We can just sin all we want, right? Paul's response, absolutely not. That is not the case. Why? Do you not know? Don't you know that if you present yourselves as an obedient slave, you are slaves to the one you obey? Which is a pretty redundant statement. Don't you know that if you obey something, you obey something? Well, yeah, kind of works that way. Paul says, look what you're obeying. Are you obeying sin? If so, sin is your master. Sin is your king. That's why we don't sin anymore. Yes, we have grace and we can be forgiven. We don't have to worry about, oh no, if I sin too much, God won't love me anymore. No, that's not the reason we stop sinning. The reason we stop sinning is sin is no longer our king. I am no longer my king. Satan is no longer my king. I have a king. His name is Jesus, the king of righteousness. And therefore, I surrender to his righteousness. I submit to his righteousness. And there are a lot of kings out there that people submit to. Even though we don't say we do, oh, we do. How many of us submit to money? If money tells us to jump, we say, ha, hi. Sir, yes, sir. And when money calls, we answer. It's the American way. And we as Americans say, oh, we're free. But look how much we are a slave to the almighty dollar. And we've been that way a long time. Think about pleasure. On the way over this morning, I was listening to talk radio, and they were talking about, um, uh, what's his name, Smith. Ah, can't remember now. The guy who started Alcoholics Anonymous. Way back in the 20s and 30s. And, you know, at, at its inception, Alcoholics Anonymous was a very Christian organization. Um, built on Christian principles, using scripture. It's kind of become more secular over the decades, but, but Alcoholics Anonymous was all about, all right, what about people enslaved to the bottle? And Smith and the doctor he worked with, and they come up with the 12 steps and stuff, it's all about you stop trying to live your life and we say now, surrender to a higher power. And Smith said, surrender to God. Make him your king rather than the bottle. And any addiction, that's the point of addiction is it controls you. It's your king. It's your Lord. It's your master. And we've all have things, you know, maybe not as destructive addictions as drugs or alcohol or something like that, but... There are things that we enjoy, that we tend to pursue, maybe even at the cost of anything else. Well, that becomes your king. Paul says, if you, if you obey it, it's your king. So don't tell yourself you're free, you're a slave. Oh, Paul says, I'm telling you to be a slave to something better. Make Jesus your king.
And then think about all these cultural issues. Um, I know people who are slaved issues. I'm reminded of that day every day on Facebook. I shouldn't stop looking at Facebook. But on Facebook, everybody has their opinion, and especially on the issues at hand. And what's amazing to me is you can just drop one word and boom, off they go. As if it controls them. And it does. And the issue says, all right, ready, aim, fire, and take out anybody who disagrees with you verbally or the hatred in your heart. It becomes so obsessive that it controls us. It becomes our master, our king. Our fear. This is one of the oldest kings there is. And people bow down before it. They get on their knees and shake and quiver and can't move, can't do anything because they are afraid. And Jesus says, don't be afraid, follow me. Let me be your king. All of those kings, money, pleasure, issues, fear, and a million more we could list, are cruel and are destructive. Jesus is a good king. Okay. Hmm, how much time? The clock's not on the wall. We took it down because it wasn't working anyway. <laughs> I'll t- I don't know how many of you like The Hobbit or Lord of the Rings. I'm a big Hobbit fan. And if you're like, oh, great, here we go. Yes, I am a nerd. I love The Hobbit. Not necessarily even the movies. I I love the book. It is my favorite book other than the Bible itself. And I have a love-hate relationship with the movies because in some ways the movies mess it up. In other ways, movies get it right. In the first Hobbit movie... Um, Balin, one of the dwarves, and yes, it's weird, one of the dwarves is recounting the story of his king, of King Thorin Oakenshield, and how he became his king. His father died in battle, and, and the orcs, the evil you know, creatures, were killing all of his people, and in that battle, Thorin Oakenshield rose up and fought him back, and then kind of turned the tide of battle, and they all rallied around him, and they drove the orcs out. And at the end, as he's recounted all that, Balin says... As he looked, you know, up on the hill and saw Thorin standing there, he goes, I realized then there is a man, or there is someone, he's a dwarf, I guess, but there is someone I could follow. There is someone I could call my king. And whenever the disciples got out of the boat and started following Jesus, what they saw was, ah, there's somebody I can follow. And whenever Peter gets to... Matthew chapter 16, and Jesus says, who am I? Who do you think I am? Peter says, you're someone I can call king. You're the Christ. You're the Messiah. And I will serve you, and I will lay down my life for you. And later on, when Peter says, I will lay, my, will lay down my life for you, Jesus says, Peter, you won't make it through the night without denying me three times. And Peter thought, no way. I would never deny my king. He said, oh, yes, you will, because when Jesus gets his crown, it's not like Peter was expecting. That crown of thorns. And Peter doesn't know how to handle that. And his faith is shaken, and he does deny Jesus three times. Of course, Jesus comes back and says, Peter, do you love me? Then do what I'm calling you to do. Follow me, because I'm your king.
And from that point on, Peter's pretty faithful. Not perfect, but faithful. Romans 6, 1 through 4. We looked at 6 and the second question of you're a slave to one you obey. Look at what chapter 6, 1 through 4 is talking about. It ties what we're talking about, submission into baptism. Are we to remain in sin so that grace can increase? Well, you know, grace is so good, the more I sin, the more grace I get. It's a win-win. Paul says, absolutely not. How can we who have died to sin still live in it? Or don't you know that as many of you are baptized into Christ, baptized into your king, into Christ Jesus, into King Jesus, were baptized into his death. Therefore, we have been buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, so we too may live a new life. When we get baptized, we make Jesus our king. I hope we realize that. We don't just make Jesus our savior. He is our savior. And we get baptized so that to take part in Jesus becoming our savior. Absolutely, but... It's also saying, I am willing to die. I am dying to myself. It's getting down on our knees to let the sword rest on our shoulder, just inches away from our neck, saying, you can have me. That's what baptism is. And Paul's saying, don't you realize that? That's why we don't keep sinning. Because you've died to that former king. You've let that old self and that old citizen of that old kingdom die. You've risen to a new life with a new king. Jesus is king. But he's a good king. One last little verse. We already read it. Let's finish it this time now. When I saw him, I fell down at his feet, though I were dead, because John realized you are the king, and I don't deserve to even be alive in your presence. You know what Jesus does? It's beautiful. At the end of the verse... Jesus puts his right hand on John. He says, don't be afraid. Get up. I want you to see something. I want you to see the world from my perspective. And then the rest of Revelation follows where John is in heaven looking down on the world going, this is nuts. But you know what? In all of it, Jesus is king. And this world is nuts. I think we can all agree. This world is Crazy as a bed bug and beyond. What has not changed? Jesus is king. And we offer the invitation now to make him your king. To reaffirm him as your king, whatever you may need. It's who we are. It's who Jesus calls us to be. Citizens in his kingdom. If you have any need at all, why don't you come?